Hey, Happy New Year, everyone. This is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Our first episode of 2018 is with Tim Urban. Tim co-founded the blog Wait But Why with Andrew Finn in 2013. He's become well-known for his long-form explainer post about things like AI, Elon Musk, and the Fermi Paradox. So I met up with Tim in New York to talk about his research strategy, the purpose of Wait But Why, and his thoughts on technologies including cryptocurrency, AI, and VR. All right, here we go. Is the purpose of Wait But Why to start kind of informing people to get them to care before it's too late? Or what is your intent with the whole, like, all the content you're making? Um, the purpose in general is for me to do something I'm having fun at doing. Okay. I spent nine years after college doing something that was kind of objectively a cool thing, but I was not doing what I wanted to be doing. Um, so... Honestly, I, I was like, I want to be doing, I want to be excited to wake up. I want to be excited to do my work. I want to feel like I'm playing when I'm doing my work. And this fits a lot of things for me. I'm very curious, so I get to be a constant learner. I like having great conversations with interesting people, and Wait But Why is connecting me to all kinds of great conversations. Um, I love creating, like just artistically creating. So a post is a piece of art in a way. Um, and it allows me to kind of just... Um, uh, yeah, continually stay in excitable mode because I can switch topics again and again and again. And I'm just always very, I feel like I'm in the honeymoon phase with the the job all the time because I switch topics and it's a whole new planet for me. Um, so uh, I love that. And if I didn't like it, I don't think I'm a good enough person to, <laughs> to, to do it out of obligation for, you know, I think this is going to help. Like, I, 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 like the, I like to think I would. Yeah. But I think I'm more the kind of person that might throw money at something good. I'm not sure I would dedicate my life to something where I was just, I felt like it wasn't my calling. It wasn't something I really was passionate about. It wasn't something I had fun doing. So um, that said, as Wait But Why has gotten more popular, as I've kind of, uh, you know, begun to dive into a lot of more kind of intense, deep topics, I started to appreciate uh, the impact that a that a viral blog post can have. Um, I, I appreciate it when times like when I go to, you know, I've spoken at a bunch of colleges and I was at a place like MIT and uh, afterwards a couple of students came up and they said they're they're going to work in, um, one of them is working in SpaceX and one of them is going to work in AI next year, both because of my post. And I was like, you know, so I was like right there, <laughs> these two are probably smarter than me, both of them. They're 18. And like if they both go work, that's like 120 years of human effort going towards like really good, important things. Uh, and maybe they instead would have gone into finance or something else. So to me, I, I was like, that's really awesome. And, and, and if, and if that's, you know, two of, I don't know, however many, um, that to me is a massive impact. If I can convince really smart people to turn their attention or their money or their time towards important things, um, I think that that's about as big an impact as I could have as a human, because me going into it myself, that's one person plus, Honestly, these MIT dudes are probably more capable than I am. So, um, uh, I think, I think, you know, yeah, and, and just kind of, since it is a battle for kind of awareness right now, awareness of the story that we're a part of this human colossus story is crazy. We woke up inside of a a thriller movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I use this analogy. So if human history is a thousand centuries, about hundred thousand years. Okay. Okay. Picture every page of a, there's a 500 page book telling the story and every page is two centuries. Okay. If you're an alien again, and you pick up this book and you're trying to understand what the human history is like, 
So the first uh, 450 pages, okay, it's the first 90,000 years, gets us to, to, to it's just hunter-gatherers. That's it. Migrations and hunter-gatherers. Right. And very, very slight biological changes. You're, you're, you are bored as an alien reading that yeah. book. Page 450 of the Agriculture Revolution. And you have cities and you have the first, you know, you know, kind of wide-scale cooperation. This colossus takes a huge leap forward, right? Things start to get a little interesting. Um, that's just the last 50 pages of the book. And things do develop uh, in a kind of interesting, cool way. At page 490, you have Jesus. You have AD starts at 10 pages ago, okay? And you have, you know, Islam starts at page 493 and around page 497, you have imperialism gets rolling and you have the enlightenment, the next page. And right at the beginning of page 500, the very last mm -hmm. page, you have the industrial revolution and you have uh, the entire kind of the Colossus kind of like goes on steroids. The Colossus grows up very quickly and becomes far more powerful. Mm -hmm. The population balloons from less than a billion to 7 billion on page 500 alone. We go from and every other page before page 500, you know, transportation meant walking, running, sailboats. Page 500, we're going to the space station. We're flying around planes and cars. Yeah. Communication on page 499 and earlier meant, you know, talking to people and writing letters with your hand. Uh, page 500, we have FaceTime, we have, you know, internet. So if you're the alien reading this book, suddenly you're on page 500 and you're like, and you just can't believe what you're reading and you're so riveted. You're saying, oh my God, this is the story. This mm -hmm. is what this has all been leading to. What's about to happen? You turn the page to 501 and you're just like, what is going, what, what, this something's about to, big's about to happen here. We, we all were born right, right then. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So uh, I think that... Part of what I can do is, and the only reason I'm so aware of this right now is because I write about it. I think I have, my job is to think about this, okay? And so I think that part of what I can do is just take humans that are every bit as smart as I am, and everybody's curious, but it's not their job to think about this stuff, and kind of shake them and say, hey, like, we're about to turn to page 501. It's either going to be the coolest story for humans or it's the end. This is, this is the, that is a, it is a 501 page book, and yeah. that's it. Or this is the beginning of like the new paradigm. We, we have a new BC AD situation. We have a BC, which is like before something yep. that is on page 501 when we all became immortal and we, and all the suffering stopped and whatever that is. And BC, the, the BC, this will be the real BC, much more important than any religious thing. It'll be the thing before humans came into their own. That's really exciting. Or it'll be the end. Mm. And that'll be, there'll be no more books. So, <laughs> so th this is the barrier in the Fermi post, right? Like, it has possibly. to be, right? I mean, in, 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 uh, the thing is, the problem is we're wired to think about, we're wired for a world uh, when nothing changed ever. So when someone says, this is, is going to be the future, everything's going to be different, it's wise to be naive, to, to feel that that's, well, that's naive. kind of like the snake oil alarm. It feels naive and it should feel naive because it used to be naive. Today it actually is. If you all, all you have to do is look, just compare. Just, just there's no salesman need, needed here. Just look at the facts of page 500 versus 499 and every page before it. This is clearly not like every other time. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I think there's. Uh, I, mean, I find it exciting. I'm very well, happy. I mean, that's always so. People um, 
like the interest in startups and technology kind of ebbs and flows, it seems. And and now for better or worse, it seems to be like people are pushing tech away, like in big quotes, because they think of tech as like just Facebook. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's so, so, so much more. And whenever when someone's like down on this stuff and they're like, "Uh, I don't need an app to like walk my dog or something. I'm like, change your point of view and look at this other stuff. And it's crazy. There's so much going on. Tech is a monster God (laughs) that is on the horizon running towards us right now. And when the God gets here, it's either going to be a really good, benevolent, amazing God or a really bad God, depending on what we do right now. So we should go into tech. You should go spend your career in tech. (laughs) Literally, the people in tech right now are are the people who are creating that God and deciding what that God's going to be like when it gets here. And so, yes, you might, you might object to the lifestyle that some of us have, that many of us have taken on due to early tech kind of sure, different topic than saying technology in general, you know, I want to, it's like, no, no, no. If you care about people, if you care about your grandchildren, you should be focusing on this too. Yeah. Um, and especially wary that the, the minds in tech right now, as good people as they may be, they're worried about they're 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 humans. They're primates, and what the primate wants is to to is to succeed in its own life. So they are worried about glory and trying to succeed. And when everyone in it is doing that, mm-hmm. you have this monster being developed in a way that's that that doesn't have a larger kind of thought process here. It's just being developed to develop it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really really scary. So. Uh, yeah. Do you is is there like a canon of literature around that specific topic, or is this kind of a new idea, like developing something that? Um, I mean, I guess you could think about it as a religion, basically. Like, how do we get past our short term monkey mind mm-hmm. to care about more people when we're developing technology? I think, you know, I think as, as humans, look, yeah, the thing that um, when you want to really make a change, you have to. You don't try to change humans fundamentally. Uh, that's not easy. What you try to do is you try to bi- build some kind of structure or system that will naturally incentivize shitty, selfish humans to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. This is the Elon Musk formula yep. and, and many others. Um, and so in this case, the thing that drives humans more than anything, more than absolutely anything, is culture and because we want deeply want to be accepted by our culture and our whatever society we're in, we want to be cool in it. Whatever society says, these are the the cool kinds of people. Everyone will put all their energy to try to be like that. Whatever you know, uh, the the people around us, whatever will make us fit in and and stand out and be admired and and be attracted to the opposite sex and 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 all of this. It, it, if 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 society decided that money was unattractive and that and that you know working with your hands and living on as little as possible really made you awesome mm-hmm. and that's what all the movie characters suddenly were doing and that's what um again the opposite sex really started to like um no one's in finance anymore we'd all be yeah. working out and trying to get out in construction fields and be really good the, we we money is only a big deal to us cuz that's currently what you know society has just told us matters because because it, you know it's a remnant of a world where resources you know were so scarce now that's not resources aren't scarce anymore but the the values have stuck around the value of let's let's all obsess over resources is still here so now you have you know rich people obsessing their whole life over getting richer um so 
if you want people to obsess over AI safety, right now AI development's a big thing because development, you know, entrepreneurship is getting rich, getting getting uh, successful is what we value. If suddenly it became extremely uh, cool in society to to be a philosopher thinking about the or or, or someone in tech obsessed with. Um, with AI safety. And we, and, and if, and if we, if I think the way this could happen is if people were aware enough of this page 500 situation, mm-hmm. suddenly there'd be all this fear around it. Right. And, and all of this excitement, but all this fear. And if someone could have a breakthrough, not in development, development, people would kind of almost look at kind of suspiciously, like just, you know, you know, are, are you okay? That's fine. But, but if someone comes up with a big, a big breakthrough in AI safety and they became kind of Nobel prize front page of, Time Magazine, you know, they were interviewed everywhere and they, they were the biggest celebrity because, because we were all scared and they, oh my God, this they person might out. save us. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, the people thought, you know, the Manhattan Project might save us back then or anytime there's, you know, fear mm-hmm. and in humans, that, that takes over everything. And if you can, then if you can kind of assuage that fear somehow. So I think that if you really wanted this to happen, I think that um, you need, I mean, someone like, you know, Elon Musk, uh, who's really prominent, but also really concerned with AI safety. That helps. Uh, I think many people like me mm-hmm. trying to make this these points helps. But again, it's not telling people you should want safety to be a good person. It's saying this is the big challenge of our time. This is the the great dis, you know decision moment we're about to be at. This is the great filter or not. And who's going to be the hero that can figure this out? This is the great problem. This is it. If the development's happening automatically, it's like a wave coming, a tsunami coming towards us. Like, who wants to be the hero? Who wants to be the person that saved all of us? Who, you know, the, everything in the world will be named after them. They'll be basically a god in the future world if they came up with a solution. If we can kind of, that will happen if people understand the reality. And if people, if that happens, then you'll see all kinds of people all thinking about it and forming clubs. And it'll be the coolest thing to be going into. Be the people, it'll be the most noble thing you can go into in the, and the raddest, you know, the smartest people, it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're really smart. You should go into that then, you know, like cancer research now might be that, you know, something like that. Like totally. So. And so when you were a kid, who was the person who you're like, man, that person is so cool. Like if I could just be like them, then I'll have made it. Uh, Emil Waldner basically asked this question, like, were there bloggers or writers that you looked up to as communicators? Um, I don't think as a kid writing was on my radar as much. Uh, as a kid, I think I wanted to be like, uh, I wanted to compose music in a way. I wanted to be like Andrew Lloyd Webber or like <laughs> Billy Joel or like the Beatles. I think that when I was like 11 would have done it. At some point I wanted to be the president. I had like a little ego-y stretch Ooh, there. Yeah. Then that disappeared. by. I, was about, I actually became the class president. And that when I was like, done, I'm out of this. In, in like middle school? High school. Oh, okay. I was 18 and I was like, I'm not going to do more of this. This was, I'm never campaigning again. Yeah. And and also being a class president is a useless job. You're not really doing anything. You're raising small amounts of money for one thing or two things that are already going to be funded somehow anyway. And it that's actually, I think, a microcosm of a lot of real politicians' lives. Not that pol- politicians as a unit don't together have a lot of power, but each trying to be a senator forever, I mean, I feel like I can do more actually in a lot of ways and have a lot more fun. So that disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then, then I, then, then I was back in creative lane where I wanted to do either music or writing, you know, one of those. Um, and when I f- first started to think about blogging, I actually was blogging on the side for like six years before I started Wait But Why. I, I didn't look at 
necessarily to, well, early on, Bill Simmons, mm-hmm. you know, in college, I was one of, uh, in college, right when he was his, at his peak popularity, big sports fan, Boston. So I was, you know, a <laughs> big Bill Simmons reader. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say I necessarily um, wanted to mimic his specific style, but it was his it kind of... Uh, personality, integrity, just the fact that he would go on and just be himself and be colloquial and be kind of like fun, like the way he would write an email to his friends is how he would write an article. That resonated with me. That seemed very obvious. I was like, that, that is clearly the way to go if I ever were a writer. And when I started my blog, it was just, it wasn't even a question. I wasn't going to try to be a journalist or have any kind of formula. I was going to go and just try to be a fun writer. Well, that just came with the internet too. It did. Exactly. So it was, it was, it, he was one of the first really famous ones, but, um, but, but so, and then I looked at, you know, other successful bloggers who I respected, you know, Ali Brosh at Hyperbole and a Half and Randall Monroe and, you know, Jason Kotke and these, you know, certain, um, certain blogs that I thought were great. And the thing I really appreciated about them is they were all very unique, kind of like molded to the person's personality who made them. Like they, they were just clearly a reflection of the person. The person wasn't trying to be a brand or anything different. They were just kind of like being their best selves, you know, in, in writing form mm-hmm. or drawing form. Um, and so I, again, it wasn't that I, I think I was very adamant about trying to actually not look, look at other styles. Cause I was like, I want to do my exact style mm-hmm. because that's what I think is the key actually. But it was the integrity of these styles that I saw other people use that I think it really kind of stuck with me as it made it very clear that like, I'm going to double down on my own style versus trying to fit into any other kind of form. Yeah, totally. And like integral to, I haven't read your old blog. Is it still up the, your old stuff? It is somewhere. It's called, uh. Underneath the turban. Okay. <laughs> it is, uh, it's very few people have read it. It's, uh, it was just me. It was much more classic blog style stuff. I would write about my day. I'd rant about something. I'd write a list of things I didn't understand in the world. So was it, uh, as thoroughly researched no. as, okay. So there was one, another Twitter question. Uh, Anish Giri asks, um, basically, uh, what styles and techniques do you use to learn things quickly enough to, I think you've talked about it, like getting from basically to like level five and an ability to communicate, you know, like, this is AI, this is why it's interesting, this is why you should care. What do you use to go from like reading AI on Wikipedia to writing, you know, a 10,000 or what is it, like 30,000 word post about yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, what do you do to get yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the internet is a real godsend <laughs> yeah. uh, to a curious person or to a blogger trying to... Or to, a procrastinator. Or to a procrastinator, to a lot of things. Uh, yeah. But if you, you can consider like 1 through 10 knowledge on something, 10 is like you know, the, the world's leading expert, um, you know, PhDs get you to like maybe a seven or an eight. My goal is I'm starting a two or three as a layman, you know, if I'm really curious layman, I'll be at a three cause I've already known. And I want to get myself up to, like you said, a five, maybe a six. Um, uh, I, I, I becoming an, an eight, um, would take years I would have to focus in on one topic only. Uh-huh. I'd rather become a six on 50 topics than an eight on three, you know, or 10 on one. Um, so that for, that's me, not everyone. Some people, the thing they love is being a, a nine or a 10 in knowledge. That's just, I don't, that doesn't excite me that much. Um, it would be great. It's just, it's the lesser of, of excitement. Um, so, and then, and then my goal as a blogger is to, after I've gotten to level six to then package everything I just learned and the road I just went down. I, I basically look at the road I went down and said, if I could do this road again, how could I do it efficiently now? How can I, and, I, and how can I package this in a way that doesn't just take someone down this road efficiently and thoroughly, 
to get them to where I am, but does it in a way more fun way than I just had. Let's have, I want the reader to have a lot more fun. I want more it to pictures. be, yeah, <laughs> a lot more pictures, more, more kind of storytelling and, uh, and just funnier and just more enjoyable, uh, than what I just did. So, um, it's, 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 it's that it's, I just went down a road. Now let me take this road and make it awesome. And that's my job. And then I go on a new road and then I, you know, whatever. So I think the question is about how do I go down my road to get for myself from that two to a six. Huh? And the, um, so I start with Wikipedia or general kind of Googling. I'll, I, what I'll do is I'll Google the question I have. So if I want to understand cryonics, if I, you know, whatever it is, I'll Google what is cryonics, cryonics versus cryogenics. Cause I don't remember. I'll, I'll have heard those terms and I'll Google, um, uh, uh, cryonics scam. Okay. And I'll Google, does cryonics work? And I'll Google, and I'll have heard Peter Thiel said something. So I'll say Peter Thiel cryonics. And I'll Google Alcor cryonics, because I heard there was a company called Alcor. And I'll Google um, how many cryonics companies are there, cost of cryonics. I'll Google all these, each in a different tab. Mm-hmm. Then in each tab, I'll basically, without even looking, I'll just open every link, you know, you know eight, eight links on each tab. So I'll end up with like 70 or 80 links, okay? And, you know, among those are, you know, all the, you know, four different Wikipedia articles and then a bunch of, just articles written, you know, secondary source kind of articles, just, you know, written in Gizmodo and other places like that. So none of those alone is like an awesome source. Yeah. It's that on the whole, the, the group of those articles will give, me, will, 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 will give me a foundational understanding. Wikipedia is good for a foundational understanding. Um, it'll give me a foundational understanding and it'll also tell me what we, what the big opinions are, I'll, I'll realize where the big disagreements are, where the kind of uncertainties are. And it just kind of like orients me in general. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I now understand what I need to start learning even. And so are you writing notes to yourself at this point? Are you trying to communicate this to, you know, like uh, your girlfriend or your friends? So you actually know that you're understanding it instead of just reading words? Um, I am, I have a big document open that I'm, I'm pulling Quotes that's really interesting or fact or stat um, or an opinion. And then when I see an, a, a counter opinion, I'll find that opinion. I'll put it underneath it into the document so they're next to each other. Um, and then I have a lot of thoughts of my own as I'm going. I'm yeah. suddenly bursting with thoughts. And I'm bursting with metaphors. I'm saying this is a lot like, you know, or I'll say cryonics is kind of like um, long-term patient care. Uh, or it's like pausing you biologically. It's not that, and I'll just write it down, right? Okay. And I'll write down all my thoughts as I go, because a lot of the best ideas just kind of come out as you're researching. Um, and, and then, depending on the topic, uh, you know, first of all, sometimes it's a very different process. If I'm thinking about procrastination and why we procrastinate, if I'm thinking about why we care what other people think of us or why we get into so many bad marriages, people, um, I'm much more likely going to be thinking. Or I'm just going to be... Th- pacing around, thinking, maybe having some conversations with friends and, and writing stuff down. There's less research. but So I'm specifically talking about one kind of post I do right now, which is the heavy research post. When I need to kind of an explainer post, right? Um, and so at that point, I, I have a foundation, but there's a lot more I need to learn. I'll feel very insecure about my knowledge in many different of these areas. And I'll just have certain things I don't understand at all. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to go deeper. Like I'll, I won't understand why freezing your cells is not good, but vitrifying is. So I'll want to dig deeply into that. So I'll just first look at why why water expands when it freezes. And I'll go read about that for a half hour. Okay. And then I'll look at vitrification. I'll realize, oh, vitrify, we vitrify embryos and organs. 
So how does that work? What actually goes on in the cell? What goes on in the, in the actual atoms? What's happening? Um, antifreeze. And I'll go into how antifreeze works in cars to understand what antifreeze is because there's an antifreeze type solution. Is it the same solution? Is it different? Is it, you know, and I just start going down rabbit holes after rabbit holes. Sometimes these become unproductive because I just get curious and I end up on YouTube and like 12 hours later, I'm like watching, uh, you know, like people in road rage, like fights and all like, fuck. <laughs> but, um, but, but then I'll, I'll reel it in and I'll come back. And, but there's just, the point is there's a lot of different, depending on how broad you want to go. And I often want to go really broad. Then I'll go into the Alcor website because they have this great Q and A or this great uh, FAQ. So I'll go and just read their whole FAQ. And then I'll go, but, but I know that they're one voice only and they have maybe an incentive. So then I'll go read a competitor's FAQ and then I realize even all of that is still Cryonics companies. Then I want to go read a bunch of, so then I'll start to understand like what the, the best argument is for Cryonics and I'll understand the science behind it. And I'll done a lot of my own thinking about how I want to frame how I can explain this or my own, I'll, I'll, I'll want to track my own thought process. I'll go from skeptical to kind of like, um, super excited to then like a little less excited, but, but a believer or something. And I want to track that so I can, cause I assume a lot of readers are going to go through that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to want to like talk. I like to talk about my own, where my own head's at at the end of a post. Cause I feel like I brought readers here. We can almost like as a group discuss, even though I'm the only one in the room. Um, but, um, so then I want to go and do a hardcore session on the skeptics, what they say. I want to go just Google things like chronic scam, chronic, like, you know, won't work. Cryonics, uh, bogus science, pseudoscience. I'll just Google these things and I'll read as many articles as I can. And it's not that I'm going to get to the bottom, especially since a lot of times there is no bottom right now. Um, but what I will do is I'll, I'll have a sense of there, there's a difference between the skepticism. The skeptics are many and they're diverse in their viewpoints, and they, they but there's there seems to be some big fatal flaws, and it seems like the cryonics people aren't acknowledging them and whatever. Or you look the other way and you say, you know, actually. The skeptics don't seem to really understand what's going on here. They, they kind of ha seem to have a knee-jerk reaction. Some of them even talk about freezing a body, which is not even, that's like what the first thing you learn when you read is that it's not what's happening. Um, and in which case, I think, and, and, and I'll have a sense of, I'm like, you know, the, the cryonics people actually are, are seeming like the more serious thinkers right here versus the skeptics or, or whatever it is. But I want to understand that too. Yeah. At the end of that, I have this huge pile of thoughts and research. And then I go on to the next phases, which is, you know, outlining and then writing and then drawing and then revising. But that's, by the end of that, I, I know the shit out of the topic. You know, it's like, by, but when I'm really done, and, and especially since you then solidify it by outlining it and then writing it um, and then discussing it, you know, usually the next week, you, you solidify it with a but. But by the time I'm done, I mean, again, I'm not a true expert. And then I, I, you ask me, you know, I don't know, I, I, I'm not going to advise a cryonics company on a new kind of technique to use nowhere near that level but what i can do is basically talk to any layman and answer basically any question they have mm. um there's not almost no question at the end of that where uh i can't not just give you an answer but i can explain like the science behind it and i can explain the different you know the the, the different the contrarian views to the the prevailing opinion so and this is just the internet this is just a pretty smart guy on the internet uh, with you're, a week. you're not calling people. You're not. You're just reading stuff. Now, sometimes I will. Uh, like, I, for example, for this, I called my doctor friend, who I knew would be skeptical, because I know he, and I wanted to just hear why, and I wanted to kind of play devil's advocate to his skepticism with what I've learned, and kind of set up a mock argument between a crown assist and a skeptic by me playing the crown assist. So, I'll do that um, for for like the 
post I just did on Neuralink on brain machine interfaces. Yeah. Um, that is so new and there's so many different opinions. And I had access in this case to a lot of great people. Right, that I, you went there, right? I went to Neuralink and I met with all the founders and I met with many of them multiple times. And I talked to a bunch of other Kranix, I mean, uh, BMI people too and some sci-fi people. <laughs> sci-fi people, I find the sci-fi people are the ones who have the best handle on things like page 500, on things like this big picture. It's crazy, yeah. The, those people, those are the people that um, that think really big picture and they know they know about all the different technologies versus a lot of times the people in an industry, they have their blinders on and they're not that great at thinking about the really big picture a lot. Some of them are, but, m- but many times actually talking to a science, science, for example, I talked to Remez Nam in this case, science fiction guy about, um, you know, brain machine interfaces versus language. You know, is this the next paradigm? Is language this one big movement, this this big kind of change? And now is brain machine interfaces like the next thing? Or is there like going to, from, is writing kind of on that level? Or is it, well, he's a perfect person. We had this great conversation about that because that's the kind of stuff that he thinks about versus the people at, at I talked to the brain machine interfaces industry um, they were kind of like, well, I, they just didn't, they had, they didn't have much of an answer. Well, I think that. that's actually what causes the rift between a lot of these people, because some people are so deep in it, they're engineers, they care about the practical day-to-day progress. And then there are these like writers, philosophers in the subject, and they both kind of think the other party's like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Or they're so, you know, the, or the, a lot of times the people in it are so annoyed by the, 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 the idiots who basically lie about how quickly this is going to happen. The people who say we're all going to be thinking to each other in three years. And they're so (laughs) mad about that, that someone actually way closer to them, but, but way, but, but being pretty optimistic, they just group them all together and say, Oh no, they, but, but actually, you know, they, they, they reject any kind of, they're, they're so dug in now on their stance that this is going to take a long time, uh, that they can actually go too far with that too. Mm. But, But anyway, so I, I, um, so for cryonics, for example, I didn't talk to anyone else other than my doctor friend. Um, Everything I needed was on the internet. AI, I didn't talk to a soul. I read three books, probably 200 articles, including, you know, once you get to, once you understand stuff well, then you want to get to some really hardcore science. So you get to the papers and I started reading all these mindless, boring papers. I read a bunch of philosophy, you know, papers on this stuff. So I just got deep in, but I just read for like a, maybe two weeks. Um, and. Which isn't that much. It's not like, that much. I mean, two, really two weeks. really not. 80 hours of um, nothing. of reading and taking stuff out, like, you can get the, it, it's not like, you know, you, you can get the pretty big picture, especially if it's an industry that we're not even sure yet as a species. We're arguing about it. You can understand everyone's viewpoints pretty well. Yeah. Um, and one good book, like Super Intelligence, um, in, the, in the case of AI, can, can give you a really, really great foundation right there, and then you can just kind of tack on information to that foundation or poke holes in that foundation, and then you end up with a solid understanding. Hmm. How often do you let a post go where you're like, you're doing the research and you just can't get a handle on it, or you, you feel like the research isn't even there and you have to stop? I don't think I've ever really done that. I think um, I'll often like brainstorm a new post and then stop, but usually that's because I just get... It, I, I, I suddenly am, that's this, this icky, a daunting thing that I'm, they're all daunting, but when I'm looking at this one particular daunting topic, suddenly every other topic sounds better. The grass is greener phenomenon. <laughs> if I'm writing about life and I'm just like, oh, I have to come up with my own philosophy on this. And I'm just like, oh, imagine just researching something in science, how easy that would be when I'm, you know, just buried in, you know, n- uh, you know really thick research trying to understand something. I said, imagine if I could just sit back and think about, you know, how we think like, you know, or, or if I'm trying to be funny, 
you know, when I'm doing either of those, it sounds so easy to just try to do a funny kind of observational sure, comedy yeah. post. And if I'm doing one of those, I'm like, oh, I'm, I, the other ones I can just kind of be earnest. I have to like try to like be witty here and it's a nightmare. So I'm always switching for that reason early on, really early on. But I think when I dug into a research post, usually I only start those in the first place because I already know it's a good topic because I heard enough people talking about it and I'm curious enough about it. I know there's a lot to say. And whatever it is, it's going to be worth explaining, whatever I can find out. So if I find this, I'm researching that actually, like, there's not really any good answers to this. That's interesting in its own mm-hmm. to be able to say, you know what, like, don't feel bad about not knowing because no one knows what this is. But here's what we do know. You know, that that's fine. I'm fine to do that. So um, usually once I pick the topic, I'm just I'm going to explain what is out there, whatever that is. And that that's fine. And do you ever feel that you ought to do kind of like a um, an anti-skeptic post? You know, if you fall into a YouTube rabbit hole, you can quickly come across, you know, Flat Earth or any of like the sort of related topics. Have you ever felt drawn to like doing a, you know, a disproving of that or any particular crazy uh, conspiracy theory? Um, I'm writing a post now that is kind of taking aim at political dogma okay. um, and just you know, on, uh, on all sides uh, and, and talking about how all of these stats that, you know, one political side takes as gospel. I mean, they're almost always uh, wrong because, um, because in, in, you know, in an echo chamber environment, there's no kind of like white blood cells to kill the virus. <laughs> and so it just explain it, it just, because dissent isn't okay over there. You know, it's not, it's not, not only is it not valued, it's very much frowned upon. So everyone's agreeing, everyone's confirming, and you have these bad stats to live on. And so I'm trying to take a bunch of those in this case and show that they're not true and show why we got there and how we think is, you know, and so, so that's one example. Um, I've done, you know, a few other times I've kind of tried to take a contrarian view on something that I really believe, but most of the time, especially with kind of like a, a researchy topic, I find that the contrarian, um, to, to be a contrarian, you have to have conviction. You have to have strong opinion that this is wrong. Um, and for me, if I get conviction, it's going to be because I stole it from the, con- the stuff I read. Like <laughs> I'm only getting conviction from what I'm reading. So I could, all I'm really doing in that case is regurgitating someone else's contrarian argument. And I'd rather just credit them and kind of present both sides and let the reader make a decision. So if people are like, what's your stance on AI? I'm like, well, here's this person's stance and here's this person's. This one seems a little more credible to me, but who knows? Versus me being like, this is right. I'm like, well, but, but, but like, on the other hand, if I'm talking about we shouldn't be so dogmatic, like that's deep in me. I believe that. And I, and I, and I think it's very much like pervasive how dogmatic we are and it needs to be said. So there's certain moments like that, that I can, I can do that. But if it's like, I'm proving, disproving flat earth, I mean, I, I could do that. But the point is there is also like, What's that doing? We're going to pick on the the point oh oh one percent of crazies who yeah. think this like so we can all together like it's fun. I agree that would be a kind of a fun thing to do, but it's not. That's uh, not. It's it's it's. What's the point? You know, it's just so we can all be like, yeah, <laughs> like great. No one who reads Wait But Why thinks the Earth is flat. Although I just I just was interviewed on a documentary about the flat Earth, and apparently there's like ten thousand plus. Um, very serious flat earthers in the U.S. Okay. And they're not, like, uh, the, the, a lot of them are really obsessed with the fact that they, they think it's science-based why it's flat earth. They have all these measurements. They've done experiments. They have these, you know, they have all this math and data showing it. And they, and they um, uh, 
you know, they, and, and it's, they, they, they seem to have always kind of found some way they can like create kind of a logic loophole that makes it seem true. But they, but, but I, I was asking, you know, do they really believe it? And they said, with all their heart, they're sure. And they're sure that, that like this is this crazy world that everyone is believing this. this I think it, it's like the genetic other side of that like snake oil coin where you're like, oh, I know the secret. Like I get this. And like knowing the secret is this weird like monkey sensation that makes us feel good and different. It, it is. It's it's we, we all have in us a susceptibility to conspiracy theory. Um, it's a spectrum conspiracy. I think it goes from totally objective on one side to bias, like confirmation bias, mm-hmm. cherry picking, you know, kind of lawyer, lawyering our way to conclusions where we kind of already know the conclusion. And we find arguments. Right. Then you can get down the spectrum further that ends at full schizophrenia, which is. Everything I see is part of this thing. Yeah. You know, you can, your brain, your left brain is powerful, which is helpful in many ways. It finds a lot of, finds patterns. It's, uh, that's incredibly ingenious in a lot of ways, but it also gets us into huge trouble because it's, it's this great lawyer. It can find patterns in anything and create an art. If you want to believe something, your left brain will find the evidence to make you believe it. So before you get to full blown schizophrenia, um, where suddenly there's this one story and everything you see is in it and it's this, you get to this land in the middle, which is conspiracy land. And, you know, we all laugh at something like, you know, all the people who think 9-11 was caused by the U.S. or the moon landing didn't happen or flat earthers. But we don't look at ourselves in the mirror. There's a lot of times we genuinely believe conspiracy. And we will – and and you, you don't realize it, but then, you know, you're, you're reading a bunch of news that is all catered to your totally. tribe. Yeah. And you don't realize that, that, that like, you know, I, I read an article the other day about how – the, when it comes to like Trump and Russia, um, the left is believing a lot of crazy shit. Now, there's just people out there who are just kind of making stuff up at this point about these ties. And there's smart people passing it around being like, this is it. He's going to, this is when he goes down. They're being crazy. They're being crazy because there's, there's just no, they're, 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 they want to believe something so badly. And they're so in a bubble where everything is, there's nothing, no one's challenging bad ideas that, we, we can get there, any of us. I'm sure it happens with me on this podcast, just in terms of like people I invite. It's like, oh, you fall in line with these things that I believe in, so therefore we should do a podcast together and keep it selection, going. Selection bias. How do you break that with your post? Like, I'm sure you fall into well, it. Well, I just said this. So I, 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 I always am going to read a ton of skepticism about any opinion I have. What is that doing? Think about how we do this, okay? The marketplace of ideas, the idea isn't that... Um, the idea is that it's, the, it's specifically the clash of ideas that the dust settles and truth is left, right? We, we, the clash of ideas helps us see truth. Now think about a courtroom. A courtroom has one attorney that is full selection bias, cherry picking, you know, confirmation bias of every kind, intentionally as their job of getting to one conclusion. There's no defense attorney that says, you know, the prosecution's made some good points. Actually, I think my client's good. No, their job is to be one-sided, right? Yeah. But because you have both of them, you have the they clash, and the jury can maybe start to see, after watching them clash, what the truth is. So with cryonics, like I said, I'm going to read one side. I'm going to read the skeptics as much as I can. By the time they're done clashing, it's not that I know for sure, just like the jury doesn't know for sure. I'm going to have a hunch. I'm going to start to feel like these people are the, are the ones who are much more fact-based here. Mm-hmm. These people have thought about this more. These people are talking in more reasonable words they seem to be more humble and, and more whatever it is. Um, and so if I'm reading now on the news, we, the news is hopeless to get an objective source. Don't even try. If I'm trying to be an objective guy, if I try to create a news source, it's going to be biased in some way of, of my own. So what I will do 
So I'll read the New York Times article, and then I'll go right away and Google the same thing on National Review. Mm-hmm. Or I'll watch something on MSNBC, and then I'll go try to find a clip on Fox News. Um, preferably be the first pair. But, um, <laughs> but you know, New York Times people get mad at. They think it's biased or Fox or, you know, one of these. It's just, if you just treat it like one of the attorneys, it's fine. It's serving its role. The problem is when people treat it like the grand truth, like this objective truth. So instead, but, but so what I find is when I read, I, I've, I've become through this post, and I'm not going to stop now. I read a ton of conservative media, um, along with my standard kind of you know left wing media, and together, I just get a healthy degree of skepticism. It makes it very hard for me to feel very conviction, a lot of conviction about anything. Because mm-hmm. if you only read one thing, you can say this is obviously <laughs> true. But I'm saying I read a really smart, good argument by a really smart person saying this wasn't true, and that this was overblown, and that this was a made up stat, and uh, I, I and so so you end up feeling very humble, which doesn't feel good all the time, but it, it feels at least like. Um, honest, and I, I don't feel delusional. I don't feel like I'm in some bu- bubble anymore. So I think that's how um, we can do this is, you know, if, if you have guests on a podcast, get some people on that fundamentally disagree with you, not just on one, what's going to happen, but think differently, th- totally. th- you know, and just examine their brain, Ex- put it out on the table and examine the way they think. Either you'll still disagree with the way they think, but, it, but you'll understand them better. Uh, afterwards, which can then uh, lead you to be able to convince, you know, change minds better if you understand, or they'll poke some hole in your logic or humble you out a little bit in a way that will make you, it'll hurt at the time, it'll make you a better thinker in the long run, or they'll literally point out a way you're wrong, or you'll do something likewise to them, but but for your your listeners, right? they'll benefit a ton from that. I love, you know, Intelligence Squared is this debate podcast. I'd much rather learn something in the form of a debate than in the form of one person, because now you just, it's like a courtroom to me. Yeah. And a jury, you know, I get to be a jury with both sides. Well, that's why I've fallen into the longer form podcast, because you really learn how someone thinks instead of their edited, like, sound clip version. Exactly. Um, so one of, like, the hotly debated and contested topics are, is cryptocurrency right now. Julian asked uh, on Twitter, do you have thoughts or strong opinions? Definitely no strong opinions. Um, I have read a little bit. I get more requests for this topic than I've gotten about anything <laughs> in the last three months by far, yeah, by like threefold. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's a good way for wide topic. I don't right now have the time at this moment, but I do want to d- dive in because it's exactly the kind of topic I like, which is this is important. This is extremely complex and it's, and it's incredibly hard to understand from an 800 word article, which is what everyone writes. Yep. Um, but it's not actually that hard to understand in a 10,000-word article. So to me, it's like, I, it's not that this is that complicated. It's not that you need to be super smart. It's just it needs to be really thoroughly explained. No one's doing that very well. Um, and this is important. Mm-hmm. Like AI was and I think cryonics and brain machine interfaces and many other things I've taken on. Um, so from what I've read... The best analogy, the best like metaphor that pops into my head for what this seems like, and I think that I'll change as I research more, is it seems like it's 1988 and there's not one internet, but there's many different interwebs, competitor interwebs kind of trying to start. And maybe none of them will take hold and the whole thing will, you know, end up not existing. Or there'll be many of them or mm-hmm. multiple, or there'll be one that ends up becoming this giant thing like the internet. Um, and I think the people buying 
cryptocurrency right now is kind of like buying domain names on various ones of these and hoping that they take off. So maybe there's an interweb without even any websites on it yet, but there's domain names you can buy and you're taking a lottery ticket that maybe this is going to become the internet and then I'll have this super valuable currency. Um, But I also think that's probably like explaining like magnets is like having a rubber band where it's like, yes, it tells you what the basic deal is, but it's actually fundamentally different than what's really happening. So I think when I research more, I will probably reject my own metaphor as, as maybe a first starting point, but then it needs to be explained further why this is not actually like that. Cause it is, but, but I, I think it's a really cool concept. I think that we right now assume that the only way to do things is centralized systems, governments, centralized governments, these trusted authority units that we can all kind of hang on to for safety and for like organization. And, you know, governments, we invented that, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, it's, countries are invented, you know, pretty recently, page 497, we started having countries, basically. Um, (laughs) um, So, though, of course, there'll be other paradigms, big things are going to change. And, um, you know, I'm sure that the the, the way that that, that mining happens right now, and things like this is going to look very primitive, they'll come come up with different ways, especially when you have other kind of interfaces, you have brain machine interfaces, for Mm -hmm. example, we may be able to come up with very, you know, just the way that, you know, a eye scanner, uh, fingerprints way faster than like a password or it's, it's way more we might come up with things that are even cooler ways to kind of verify transactions and everything like that and records but um i'm very intrigued uh I, and i think um it is definitely worth understanding and starting to think about i think anyone investing right now you know is, i think has to be aware that like you know, it could be amazing, but like very good chance that like any one of these currencies just becomes nothing. And I think that people know that. So, but I think it's just so cool. It's fascinating. Uh, and I think, I think understanding it starts with understanding kind of the, the blockchain concept. And I think that starts with understanding encryption and just literally how encryption works and, you know, the public key and the private key. And the, when I, when I dug into that a little, I started to like, it started to make sense. And I started to say, I see, because otherwise I, people, they hear about this like mythical ledger on computers and they just tune out because they think, I, I don't know, what does that mean? Once you get what it means, it starts to be kind of delicious. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, it's a great topic. Or they think it's just this fake thing that you're buying into only because right. it's rising and so right. you're going to make money that way. Where or, there's, yeah. or they one-dimensionalize it as this is just like a different kind of currency, but it's not. It's, exactly. it's, the currency itself is one of many kinds of things that can happen in a decentralized system. So, uh, yeah, I, I have a, two-week reading stretch <laughs> in ahead of me there. Uh, and I'll come out of that and I'll have a way better answer for you. Okay, cool, man. Um, so I just want to wrap up with one more question from Facebook. So Casey Stanton asked, um, you gave an awesome talk about AI in Carmel. It sounds like in May. And what incredibly complex technology uh, that's coming needs our attention? What's something that all of us should know or think about? Yeah, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot right now. I mean, it's exciting. Um um, it's overwhelming. So I think, um, I'm going to name a few. Okay. Uh, I think, um, I mean, I think crypto is one of one thing to think about things that might be as big a deal as the internet in 10 years is kind of how I'm thinking about it or, or way bigger. Um, I think, so, you know, how you, you know, there's this hype kind of trajectory that goes big big you know something first starts to actually work as a technology massive hype 
then it's not really ready for prime time yet, though. And everyone gets everyone just suddenly becomes like, oh, everyone, uh, the, you know, everyone's over that. It's never going to work. Right. Yeah. And then it creeps back in as a actual existing thing. So we've had AI in a few different of these bumps. Um, I think VR, AR is one of these. There was a big stretch a couple of years ago. You know, Oculus is new and the Vive and... You know, you people are doing these cool demos and, you know, uh, you have first AR kind of big explosion with Pokemon Go and you have the Google Cardboard, you know, and you have Samsung gear and all this stuff, right? And I think it was a huge hype and now you don't hear much about it right now. It's, it's in a dead period because it was, ex- the only way to do it was these really, ex- the only way to do it well was these really expensive, you had to get a fancy computer and a fancy thing. They were hard to even get. They were backlogged, the, the, the headsets. Um, and you had to be tethered to your computer. You had to put stuff on the walls. Um, I did all this, so I know. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then you got in them and sometimes they made you nauseous. There were, there were some programs that were unbelievable and I was just blown away that this is 1.0, this is MS DOS and it's so good already, but a lot of them weren't that good. A lot of them made you nauseous. The headset, it's exhausting to have on for a long time. It's heavy. Take it off. You're sweating. And now all I'm thinking the whole time is people in 10 years are going to, Look at you know, I'm gonna go to my closet and pull out my Vive 1.0, and yeah. they're gonna say, "Oh my God, look how big this is!" They're gonna put it on and be like, "Oh my God, you wore this," and it's gonna seem like a you know the cell phone in a briefcase. Yeah. So, um, but I've done this a lot more than most because I was I am gonna write a post on it. I went to the Oculus conference. I've tried all of the basically all of the programs, and. I was just floored by how oh, awesome. This is VR. Mm-hmm. So this is even getting to AR, which is probably the even bigger concept. You know, the magic leap stuff and just things where you're just, whether it's through a headset or glasses or eventually contact lenses or whatever, you actually can, you know, you just add stuff onto your world. Your, your whole computer interface is just floating there in front of you and whatever it is. I'm, you know, a lot of things we can't even imagine. So um, I think that those, I think that, that, that the, the implications for gaming and entertainment but also for um uh you know just kind of experiences for for communication for training for you know building empathy and for you know the th- classroom of third graders in the u in in missouri going on a fun field trip to the moon with a classroom of third graders in saudi arabia and coming back and like you know, <laughs> this is good for empathy this is good for the world right yeah, um yeah, yeah. You know, being able to sit around with your grandmother, even though she died 40 years ago, and ha- sit there at the table like she's there and you're just watching her look at you and laugh and you're having a conversation uh, that, you know, you're, you're watching the conversation that took place. So I, this is, I can go on many, many examples, but I, be- I, I was in that headset and I also learned enough about like what's coming with the technology. The headsets are going to get very much smaller. They're going to stop needing to be tethered to something and needing to have things on the wall. You're going to have cameras on the actual headset. They're going to see the walls. Um... And it's just going to get better and better and better, and batteries are going to get better, and the, the computers are going to get better. So um, we're going to end up, I think, in 10 years with a billion people using VR. A billion. Like, it's going to be the new kind of smartphone or cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, young entrepreneurs who want to get into, you know, something that's new, you know, this is the time to start a VR company when it's not being talked about. Start it. Start developing start making really good things, you know, or AR, whatever it is. Um, and when the headsets are ready and when suddenly, you know, there's a killer kind of headset that's in everyone's pocket and it ends up, you know, all over the world, you're going to be one of the, you know, you're going to, you know, you'll be in a position to be Google. You know, there's the Larry Page and uh, Mark Zuckerberg of the VR world. Like they don't, 
They don't exist yet. Well, they probably exist, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they, 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 they're not they're not famous yet, unless unless you know. I mean, I know that Mark Zuckerberg also wants to be the Mark Zuckerberg of the. Uh, but there's going to be new you know giants, and and they're not there yet. So that's one. Another one I would just say quickly is um, you know, genetic stuff, CRISPR, and all that. I mean, it cost almost, I think it was almost two billion dollars. Maybe it was almost three billion dollars, like twenty years ago, to sequence the human genome. Mm-hmm. And today it's like fifty bucks. Okay, things are about to get really crazy. I mean, we, we, I think that your grandkids are going to be born. Your, your grandkids are going to say to you, you just had a baby and hoped it was a good baby. It's going to seem crazy. <laughs> it's going to seem so old school. Yeah. Um, it's going to be just, you know, and only the crazy hippies are going to be like, we just have a natural baby a natural the way birth. it is. <laughs> and people are going to hate them like anti-vaxxers. Like you're a horrible parent. You know, you should never do that. So, um, and and all the implications of this enhancing ourselves um creating you know just just getting rid of disease creating smarter people i mean you can really go on and on and on there um you know, you'll be able to have four people like two couples decide to make a, a baby the four mm. of them really kind of cool shit so if that really gets rolling we're gonna look back to the world when you know you just had normal people also so i this i haven't researched but like pregnancy has got has got to go yeah it's crazy we, yeah it, once we once we have the, the you, you you incubate the fetus, uh, the embryo, and you in 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 this perfect chamber that has all the mother's you know we got all the, you extract all the mother, mother's hormones all the mother's blood and so it's not like this it has all the exact same chemicals that would be going into it, but the perfect diet it's monitored perfectly, and the mother gets to live her normal life and then it doesn't have to, doesn't have to, the fact that we'll be like wait. Your your grandmother gave birth like an animal, like it was, she was pregnant and she gave birth like out of her vagina like an animal. It's going to seem so primitive, and then you know. So anyway, you can go on and on. I mean, I think brain machine interfaces is another huge one. I think uh, we're all no one's talking about Mars right now. Give it five years. There's going to be humans on Mars in a decade. No one realizes this. Okay, we're, we're you know the amount of leaps for all of life on earth that you can say are as big as going multi-planetary there's like simple cell to complex cell complex cell to multi-cell organism multi-cell like animal to out of the ocean you know on land multi-planetary i mean this is so big and it's happening in our lifetimes it's so exciting and it's going to be the new kind of moon decade it's going to be oh, the new sure. ones yeah. the 20s is the new 60s so lots of exciting things this is why people should probably go go into some kind of tech, and 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 the word tech is you know they should they should move to California or other places. Maybe Austin has a scene, Boulder, but they should get involved in the future because it's like we're inventing this new planet that we're all going to live on. So, and I, I would also say just don't be intimidated to learn. Like similar yeah. to you, just like go for it. It's yeah, so easy, easy to just get. It's easy to get involved, and it's also easy to get scared. And I don't think people should be scared. Right. Plus, a lot of what, a lot of people think they need to be great at math or coding. Totally. A lot of what we need are smart philosophers, smart you know people who can make great metaphors, people who can um, who can you know talk about uh, uh, ethics. You yeah. know something. Like, but we just you know it doesn't matter what you're good at. Like you have a role to play in, in this. I mean, being pretty good at two things means you're extraordinary at that one thing. Absolutely. And that's like... Exactly. Huge. Exactly. So, I mean, right. You can, you know, some people go for breadth and then you offer something different because you see a big picture that other people don't like the sci-fi authors. Yeah. Um, or you, you get really into depth on one thing and then you really are, are... Whatever it is, like there's a role. There's definitely a role. Maybe maybe your job is communicating what's happening to other people like me. So, um, 
Yeah, I think uh, people need to just get excited and scared at the same time, which is going <laughs> to fire them up. So. All right, man. Thanks for coming in. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for listening. So as always, the video and transcript are at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have a second, please subscribe and review the show. All right, see you next week.